freelance mum, supporting talented mums everywhere. One thing God has spoken, two things have I heard, that you, oh God, are strong and that you, O oh Lord, are loving. There's a small chance that that psalm, Psalm 62, might just be vaguely familiar to you if you're a fan of One's Born Every Minute. It's the birthing affirmations that Shona Beaumont used when she was giving birth to her second child, Dylan, and it was recently televised as part of the Channel 4 series. Shona shared her story with freelance Bristol mum about how it is to be a woman of faith, her husband being a curate and what role it played in the birth itself, as well as how motherhood has since influenced her own work as a photographer. More to the point, and the thing that I found really interesting, is prior to having her firstborn, she refused to watch a single episode of One's Born Every Minute. So I was intrigued to find out why the huge about turn? For me, it was very much the fact that One Born Every Minute told the story of the couple and, told, in, a, in my case, would tell the story of Dylan. I just find with birth, there needs to be a bit more of a plugging into what's actually happening, talking about it, reflecting on it, asking yourself questions about what you might be like, um, reactions you might have. And One Born Every Minute actually was, a, in one way, just an opportunity to hang all that all those ideas off a particular structure. In the case of the filming, it was meeting for an interview in the summer before Dylan was born, days worth of chat about how Adam and I got together, about our faith, all that sort of thing. Um, and then also the filming in the hospital, which, if I'm honest, I didn't notice that much. I just, it was happening around me. I think Adam would have been more conscious of what was going on because the cameras can follow you around the room. They just met us in the car park at three o'clock in the morning, put microphones on us, and then that was the last we saw of them until, until after the birth. So not by any means invasive and very much something I wanted to take on myself. And how did it feel when you actually watched the birth? Very, very emotional. <laughs> Overwhelming. We'd seen an edit beforehand. We had always entered into it agreeing that there'd be the opportunity to say no if we didn't like what they did. So we did know more or less what the episode was going to contain and I cried at watching that edit. Um, but then when it went on TV, that was a sort of extra dimension because there was so much social media stuff going on as part of this art project I'm doing. When we were actually watching the episode, it was just a matter of keeping on top of that and how to respond to tweets if we wanted to, while at the same time keeping up with the new ones that were popping up. So it was a bit of a tidal wave, and I think it took the whole of the rest of the week to process what had happened. There were no sort of individual comments that either completely made us despondent or made us celebrate. There, were, there was a whole mix, but it was the cumulative effect of all of it that just felt quite overwhelming, actually. And by Friday, we were pretty exhausted and slightly feeling like, OK, we want to put a lid on this now. Let's bring on Monday for the next episode, and then they'll, they'll be talking about other people. So, And what were people picking up on? Was it your faith in particular? Yes, it was. It was, it was two things in particular, I think. It was Adam and the way he was as a supported partner the fact that he didn't necessarily come across as a stereotypical vicar so people liked his comedy they liked his support catch your name sorry Adam. did i see in your notes that you're a reverend um yes ah yeah. mm. we met through church we were on a weekend away in exmouth i think we met over fish and chips just the banter started but we hit it off i think quite well very quickly you were very entertaining <laughs> I did joke we might be home for breakfast but <laughs> <laughs> well second babies you never know <laughs> might be wishful thinking yeah. okay so Shona if you're alright to slip your underwear off and the hand 
Thank you. If I think he comes on. Put you in this position in the first place. <laughs> but it was also the blessing at the end with the chaplain scene. We weren't sure how Channel 4 would take that and whether, the, you know, what sort of edit they would do. It moved a lot of people. People would say things like, I'm not religious, but the psalm read out at the end was very powerful. Oh my goodness, I want to go and read that psalm now, or let's get chaplains in hospital more, that sort of thing. So that we really felt like there was a bigger hand involved in the editing at the end there, because we couldn't have asked for that. The psalm, it's Psalm 62, and the last two verses of it were key in being some sort of meditative mantra that I used as I was labouring at home. So before I went into hospital, I'd had a long night at home, taking paracetamol, trying to go to sleep, um, but actually holding on to these verses which say, one thing God has spoken, two things have I heard, that you, O God, are strong and that you, O Lord, are loving. And those two things were like one of each of my hands was holding on to those phrases. So one was saying, you, O God, are strong, and the other one was holding on saying, you, O God, are loving. I just kept repeating those. I kept feeling like that was God with me in the labour. And I really felt... Compared to my first labour with Amelie, that part at home with Dylan, I did really well. Very much got into the right mindset for, for getting to hospital. So then to have that psalm, I wanted that psalm read out at the end by the chaplain because it felt like that was a completion of the circle in a way. And it was saying, and I felt that, that that's what had happened as I'd read it. And it became even more powerful when, when he read it aloud over Dylan having arrived and Adam there alongside me as well. I can see we're here in um, the sort of second reception room, I think that's what Anastasia agent would call it. You've got little um, art projects as well with Amelie all set up. Does she follow in your footsteps? She certainly does a lot of painting and messy stuff. <laughs> um, in here, so we're in my dining room, is my most recent stuff, not post-Dylan, but uh, last year. I did a series of pictures about the elements earth, fire, wind and water and how they are symbolic in various ways of aspects of God um, in the Bible. So in this room we've got all four on the walls. Mm. And these look more like paintings and photos to me. Yes. They're on large canvases, aren't they? They are, yeah. To do it on canvas does make a statement a bit like that mm. where, where you're saying, OK, this is a bit more like the tradition of painting. Mm. I was aiming for something like an impressionist uh, effect because of the sensory nature of thinking about the elements so the light one in front of us has all sorts of swishy looks a bit like a brush effect mm. on a black background it looks amazing the more i look at it you sort of feel as though you're you're looking at traffic and the headlights don't you yes yeah and you can almost feel like you can see a church in the background there or the silhouette of a church yeah it's fun when people see all sorts of different things <laughs> in them as well the one to the right of that which is the air one um I showed at a group that I go to where Christians talk about their artwork in whatever sphere they're in. And somebody could see a skull in that one. When they pointed it out, that's all I could see. <laughs> I was slightly unnerved by it and I thought, well, I'm not quite sure that fits with what I'm working with. So I tinkered a bit and you can't see it anymore. But <laughs> <laughs> It looks heaven-like. It looks like the heavens are opening quite yes. literally, doesn't it? Yeah, transfiguration mm. sort of thing. That's what I was aiming for. Mm. You got there. <laughs> <laughs> you. No skull. <laughs> no skull exactly. A lot of what you do as well, I know that you work as an artist mm. and you're doing a PhD in photography and theology. That's right. How has your experience in giving birth and becoming a mother influenced your work? Mm. 
I don't know yet. It's going to influence it because already I was on a bit of a track before Dylan, but after Emily, with work about new creation and the, the changing landscape. Now, new creation has a different concept and I... I want to somehow get thinking about photographic work to do with motherhood and representations of motherhood. Some of the research I was starting to do in the in the PhD last year was about the pho- photographs of Julia Margaret Cameron, who is sort of known for her mother and child photographs in the 19th century. Very sort of classic referencing Christian iconography, that sort of thing. You, you can sort of imagine them. But she did a series based on the fruits of the spirit a passage in Galatians about what characteristics of Christians can and might be and posed each of them each of these nine fruits of the spirit as a mother and child composition love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness faithfulness and self-control and I want to do a series like that I think but I may explore different ways of showing the mother and child relationship in that I may get some friends to model they don't know it yet (laughs) I may get some dads to model as well I think that could be an interesting version of that classical scene if you like then because I'm interested in lenticular prints which are prints where you've merged the layers in different ways and created either a 3D effect or an animation effect so when you move past the image you see more than one mm. that would be a long process in the making <laughs> so this is the, the very germ of, of an idea now I'd like to do a project about one born specifically and about what it's meant to be filmed and how the community aspect of that changes the way I felt about birth and changes the way I felt about Dylan so that's pipeline stuff as well I, I feel it's going to take a good few months to think about it all. So you've got more work upstairs? Yeah, let's go upstairs. Let's look. And this is the curatage. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. How long have you been here? Uh, so we've been here a year and a half, coming up to two years. So it feels very much like home now. It does, but as with all church jobs, you're conscious of moving on at some point. Mm. So to some extent, you're never quite settled. Mm. Yes, actually, pause on the landing while we're up here. If you were in a curate's house and you knew there was a vicar study and an artist study, mm. I wonder which you might expect to be the most messy. <laughs> <laughs> so in there is Adam's study. It's a complete tip. That is definitely the vicar study. Lots of books. <laughs> and here's yours. No, you're right. <laughs> he wins. In fact, you're very neat and tidy, aren't you? I feel like I'm looking at a huge timeline in front of you. You are. So, yes, this is part of my um, PhD, a means of helping me, because to research photography and theology, basically I've had to do a history of photography, looking at images that refer to the Bible or spirituality in some way. Um, So my timeline is from 1839, which is when photography was invented or discovered, all the way up to the present day, and... Above a central line, I've got artistic movements and world events and books that were published in different colours. And then below the line, I'll hopefully populate it with all sorts of images and examples of photographs I'm looking at. Just to get my head around it, actually, and to tell the story of photography in in this light, photography that does spiritual stuff, I sort of feel it's a story that hasn't been told, and that's what I want my thesis to do, bring all of these undiscovered or untalked about ones to light. You've obviously got a very strong connection with the medium of photography. What is oh, it, it that draws you to it? <laughs> I don't know. Do you know that? It's addictive. There is something addictive about it. Because on the one hand, it's really throwaway. And to, especially in the digital age, which is what I'm working I'm working with digital 
film and stuff you just you can snap away and accrue thousands of images and yet the poignancy in each one is really powerful mm -hmm. it is a moment of something that you can never relive and you can never go back to um, so on the other hand it's not throw away it's one of a kind and I just I find something really seductive about the photographic image I find the illusion of reality powerful it has so much potency in terms of what you can communicate I feel like we don't know the half of it yet and yet we live off photographic imagery mm -hmm. so much so yeah I'm, I'm an addict it's funny you should use the word community because mm. you know years ago it would have been much more of a community affair giving birth wouldn't it Quite. a whole village yeah. involved and now it's much more we have evolved we we give birth in our homes or yeah. it becomes medicalized or and there's no right or wrong way of doing it it's just the way it now is today isn't mm. it yeah but do you feel as though that having shared your birth it makes it gives that community feel back again oh yes i've been interested recently in a church of england service called the churching of women which is a very traditional and slightly archaic thing now that used to be a service that used to be held for women whereby they'd come into church maybe a month or so after giving birth and give thanks to god for their delivery and for their survival thanks for the child as well and I just, I feel that that's missing a little bit, that I, that I want some sort of right, in the same way that marriage is a right, as in R-I-T-E rather than R-I-G-H-T, that celebrates what's happened and gives some sort of ceremony and solemnness to it and involves the community. I mean, that's, that's what the church has been really good at down the centuries, you know, getting, getting people alongside you and celebrating where you've come in your life and giving thanks to God for that. So... In some ways, I feel like the One Born Every Minute show was my Churching of Women service, mm. and that other people coming in, and from the whole range, from the medical staff to the chaplain to the people commenting on Twitter to my friends commenting on Facebook, just that it became this bigger thing. What better way to think about and reflect on what's happening? So let's have a look at some of your your work in this room. So this is amazing. You, so that's mm. a lenticular, mm. which. It's like a hologram. Basically, yeah. yeah. So that's a 3D one, which has the, the depth illusion. It was taken... So it's an image of what looked like butterfly wings suspended or immersed. I took the photos in a fish tank. Well, looking at a fish tank with from incremental angles around the, the fish tanks, about 60 photos. They're all spliced together. Um, they're mounted behind this rigid lens and it's designed so that when you look at it with binocular vision, each eye sees a different image and creates the 3D effect. Um, it's a very difficult image to describe to people because if I take a photograph of, of it and say, here's a lenticular, you can't see the effect because a photograph, a camera has one eye. So you need two eyes to see it. This particular piece is about Genesis and the spirit of God hovering over the waters. The idea of the butterfly effect being something that can cataclysmically create new life so when i was talking about new creation before it's it's this sort of idea that i'm thinking about um the symbolic and possibly in this new work babies so that that's one example of a lenticular and then
It's funny really, isn't it? Because we are in a world now where there's so much social media and we share so much, but a lot of it is a lipstick pose. Yeah. And you're sharing very much a reality. On a much lighter note, at the time that we're speaking, there's lots of no-makeup selfies all over Facebook. Yes. And it's it's kind of a similar exposing and sharing of experience, yeah. be it that it sounds very superficial, but it is that, hey, we're all in this together yes. feeling. Yeah, and I think with, with Labour particularly, the thing that drew me was the fact that I wouldn't have any choice but to be real and honest and I couldn't pose or fake in the middle of contractions you just can't uh, from some of the other women I've seen on One Born they'll take the time to make sure their nails are done properly or you know <laughs> that they've got their waterproof mascara on that's fine but actually in, in labour you can't be anything other than what your body is taking you through and telling you to do so I kind of like that because it got me off the hook of, you know, trying to be anything other than I am. Up at the top there is another lenticular, which is the 7 Estuary. Um, it's called the New Passage. As you walk past it, it shows the tide moving in and out um, on one of the days of the year when it's the highest tidal difference. It's a pretty dramatic landscape out at the 7, and I, I'm often going back there to photograph. I love the bridges. Is it strange to live in a home and be surrounded by your work? Do you find yourself constantly critiquing it? Not really, actually. I'd rather see it because it reminds me of where I've been and where I want to go next. I can sort of forget, well, particularly being on maternity leave, my head leaves workspace as such. It's easy to forget where I got to, what the things were that were exciting me at that time and where I want to take them. Whereas if I've got it on the wall, I remember and I think, oh, yeah, that's what I liked about that piece. But actually, I want to take it in this direction. And it gives me a bit of a nudge to do it and to say, OK, let's get new pictures up. <laughs> let's do some more. You have just said the word maternity leave, which I'm guessing yeah. as a self-employed person, are you still using maternity leave? Have you so, given yourself that time off? Because of the PhD, I technically had to ask for a year's leave, a year's maternity leave. If I wasn't a student, then yes, it would be self-introduced, a self-introduced gap. Probably Dylan will start nursery sooner than I go back. I'm due to go back in October, but Dylan will start nursery in Easter. Um, and I'll use that time to go back in my art practice capacity as a self-employed person. I'm hoping that's given me enough of a window to get some work out the way before I have to go back to the PhD. You've been through a very important process anyway, haven't you? You know, <laughs> maternity leave, I, I just sort of think we must put that term in inverted commas because it, the whole thing has been a process for you oh, yeah. and clearly influenced you as a person as well yeah. as your your development and your photography. So you're, I'm sure you're going to be coming back with far more than you, you left yes, with. quite. In some ways, I've never left it. Mm. In some ways, I've kept a diary where I'm writing the notes down that where the ideas pop into my head or where I've watched a TV programme and thought, oh, that's a really good idea. And the basic stuff of looking after baby takes up so much time <laughs> that feeding and changing and whatever else it is. These simple things. These simple yeah, things. Yeah. I know. In, in my, because of the way yeah. I am, often I feel that's an interruption to what I, I want to be doing. And actually, this time around, I'm learning a bit more that actually the, Dylan isn't the interruption Dylan is the one who's going to foster and encourage and spark new stuff in the first place so Shona shut up and get on with focusing <laughs> on him and you'll be the richer for it so I, I slightly feel like I've personally been challenged to reframe what I find motherhood to be so that it's 
you know so it's not against or a negative thing with my work but so that they come together it's, and and dare I ask since the birth of this gorgeous little man who is such a charmer he's got a lovely smile about him <laughs> beautiful eyelashes and he's behaving. a bit stinky <laughs> <laughs> we'll gloss over that <laughs> have you managed to put any work together is there anything we can have a look at um, there isn't actually but visually not yet there's sort of halfway stuff that's there but yeah it has yet to bubble out <laughs> well Shona good luck with all the future projects and enjoy the period the interim yeah. well this moment as well as the future as well thank you very much Shona Beaumont there sharing her story with freelance Bristol mum and I really hope that you enjoyed listening to that if so please do leave me a comment on freelance Bristol mum it's always good to hear from you or of course you can always drop me a line to share your story send an email to hello at freelancemum.co.uk